fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast from the home of my safety of my own home, excuse me, in Washington, D.C. I am Bobby Blanco, soon to be joined by Amy Jennings. Uh, we thank you all for tuning in on this Thursday afternoon. A little start than normal, uh, but we hope that you're all staying safe and healthy back at home and avoiding the what was supposed to be snow. Uh, we didn't get too much of it. Uh, this time around like we did last week. But, Amy, I told you last week I am a big fan of the snow. This week was um, a little different. We didn't get as much as we had um, originally thought. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like watching it fall down. But uh, the, the when you get the big, f- fat, fuzzy flakes, you know it's not going to be uh, too much. Right. I know as soon as I heard it was going to snow, I thought of you, Bobby. Thank um, you. I'll let you know. We got, I would say, probably like three or so inches here in Baltimore. Um, but it's it's that fluffy snow and the roads weren't bad. So I'll allow it. I'll let you have your snow this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we were supposed to, I, at one point this week, it looked like it was going to snow from starting last night, Wednesday night, through next Tuesday, um, which would have been something else. But it looks like it's going to be mostly just cold now. So I would take snow over just cold and windy, I would say. Um, Me too. If it's going to be cold, we might as well have something pretty to look at, right? Right, exactly. Speaking of which, makes you long for warmer temperatures. Amy, I can't believe we're actually here. We are just under a week away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Spring training officially starts um, next Wednesday for the Nationals as all the pitchers and their backstops will report to the ballpark of the Palm Beaches and West Palm Beach. Uh, I'll be honest, I was a pessimist. I did not think we would actually get to this point. Um, um, but I'm glad we did. Uh, who knows if they'll finish spring training, but it looks like they're going to get underway um, across Major League Baseball starting next week. I know. I'm excited. Now that football's over, I'm ready to move on to baseball. As we look out the window and see snow, it's kind of hard to believe that a week from today, pitchers and catchers uh, uh, work out. But um, I'm excited for it, and I'm looking forward to, to baseball. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Just real quick, uh, recapping the schedule for the next up- upcoming week, uh, like I said, pitchers and catchers reporting the 17th. That's on Wednesday. Uh, the following day will be their first workout just for the pitchers and catchers. Players, Position players don't report for a couple of days. And then their first full squad workout, uh, it will be the 23rd down at West Palm Beach. Um, another thing uh, that just came across the news desk earlier this afternoon, Amy, the Nationals announced, actually all of Major League Baseball, but... For us, the Nationals announced the start times for the regular season. Uh, that is coming, usually wraps up the uh, off season uh, in the scheduling portion, at least. We already know who the opponents were going to be, when and where. We didn't know what time, though. Um, and I am sad to say that the, it looks like we're going back to the normal weekday start time of 7.05 for the home games for the Nationals. Uh, long live the 6.05 starts. That was my favorite rule change. If you go back to one of our uh, first offseason podcasts, my favorite rule change was the 6.05 starts. And it looks like we're heading back to 7.05 starts for the most part. That's right. I know. I remember you talking about it being like college football. You want to baseball all day. You liked that earlier start during the week and then baseball all day on weekends. Um, I guess the good news about that is that that means baseball, Major League Baseball is looking to have fans in the stands at some point, probably toward the beginning as soon as they can um, or they wouldn't push that start time back. Right. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that's that was my my thing too. I guess that's the one positive is that they are hoping to have fans at some point. Um, looking even further down the line, I noticed uh, uh, the the Beltway Battle of the Beltways, Beltway Battle, whatever you want to call it, with the Orioles. Uh, I think the first meeting is actually in D.C., which isn't usually the case. I feel like they usually play in Baltimore first, but I think it's sometime in mid-May, late May. Uh, the birds come down to DC and that's a weekend series, a three game series on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday, seven Oh five start on Friday. I think it's a four o'clock start on Saturday and a one o'clock start on Sunday. To me, that screams, we're hoping fans are able to come in at that point. Cause we know a lot of fans from Baltimore can make the trip down to DC for that weekend game. And the good news is last week we were talking about some rule changes that hadn't really been addressed. And it seems like over the last week, some of those things have been shaked out and we have a little bit more clarity um, on how they plan on starting the season, at least. Yeah, definitely. Well, for all you guys who are tuning in, um, wherever you may be, hopefully you're getting, you're staying safe and you're staying healthy. But we are live on Facebook and on YouTube and on Twitter. Be sure to follow along and give us a comment. If not, hopefully you're checking us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts after the fact. But we really encourage you to en- join us live uh, and watch us, even though it's just, for the most part, looking at me and Amy's faces, a couple of graphics and some B-roll here and there. But uh, we encourage you to watch live because then you can take part of the conversation. And Amy and I, we have a good conversation uh topic for this week we're really excited it's going to be a fun topic with baseball pretty much kicking off a week from today we're going to re uh reevaluate and evaluate i guess the uh nl east's off season all five teams look at the moves that they made the players they may have lost in trades and free agency and see where each team stands heading into the new season uh amy and um you know first and foremost i guess we should start uh, and I'm going to title this Who's the Beast of the NL East. I, I know a couple weeks ago I made fun of that slogan, but it's kind of catching on to me. Uh, especially, Amy, we talked about this too. When you look at it, the NL East, top to bottom, probably may have been the most uh, active of all the divisions across baseball. I think I even saw, I can't remember if it was MLB.com or ESPN.com, was a ranking, a, a power ranking of each division. And the NL East was number one as the toughest division in baseball. And those teams show that they are willing to compete this year because it seemed like each team was active this offseason. Right. I mean, it was a competitive division last year. And then going into the offseason, we could have predicted that it was going to be competitive again in 2021. But we see these teams going all in, making a lot of moves. Um, the Nationals themselves filling all the holes that they needed to. And that makes it really exciting. Um, there's going to be a lot to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get started. Let's go. Uh, not chronological order, I guess. Order of finish, I guess, from last year. That's not the right word. What am I looking for? We're going to go through the order of how they, they through place. the stand, the, the, the standing, final standings. Standing of last order. Year. Maybe we'll go through that. Let's go standing order. Uh, we'll bring up last week's, or last week, last year's final standing, the National League East. Of course, the Braves won the division by four games. The Miami Marlins snuck into the playoffs as well, even won a playoff uh, a, a series against the Cubs. They finished above 500. Uh, then you have the Phillies and the Mets and the Nationals. The Mets and Nationals tying for last place in the National League East. So we'll start at the top um, for today. We'll start with the Braves. And as we go along, again, we encourage you to comment throughout the show on Facebook, on YouTube. Um, give us your thoughts on each team. We'll be making predictions at the end, kind of recapping of who was uh, the favorite, uh, who was the most improved, who was the least improved. Uh, so, Amy, to kick things off, the Atlanta Braves. Now, I will say, going back and looking at this team and their offseason moves, I was kind of surprised, except for the big glaring one, of course, right, Marcelo Zuna. I was kind of surprised how subtly quiet they were. They did add a couple of starting pitchers, which is going to help them down the line. Uh, but 
not as much moves as we saw other teams in this division make. I, I was kind of surprised to see. I know I would I would agree with you there, but I guess when you look at it, you look they won the division. They came just a win short of the World Series, and they didn't lose any of their their best guys. So it kind of makes sense that they were a little bit uh, quiet this off season. And of course, Marcelo Zuna being that big move, but also they added experience and depth to their rotation in signing Charlie Morton and um, Drew Smiley. Those are two kind of kind of they went more under the radar but I think they're they're big improvements because of course Charlie Morton has that postseason experience I mean finishing game seven of the 2017 World Series with Houston and then winning game seven of the ALCS um, this season with um, uh, the race so he has that postseason experience he's going to bring more depth to that rotation and then of course um Ozuna, that's that that's huge. Just adding to that um, incredibly talented lineup. So they have a lot of talent. They didn't lose a whole lot of talent, and they they did really well last season. So it kind of makes sense. If anybody in this division is going to be quiet um, this off season, it would be the Braves. Yeah, I, I agree. And the only players you mentioned all, all the additions, uh, the only players that they really lost, Adam Duvall. We saw just recently signed with the Marlins, so he stays within the division. Darren O'Day expected to sign with the Yankees any day now. Uh, Mike Fulton. You know, this was a guy who was a staple in their rotation for a, a number of years, and then all of a sudden they DFA'd him last year, uh, and he now signing a minor league deal with the Rangers. So those are your big names that the Braves lose. But, yeah, you said – when you're the division champ uh, by a hefty amount and you go to the NLCS and you're a game away from the World Series, you have to be the favorite. And I'm one of those kind of people, Amy, that thinks, you know, as long as they don't lose major contributors, this is a different conversation, I think, if Marcelo Marcel Zuna signed with another team, particularly in the NL East. Uh, but since he comes back, you didn't lose any major players. Uh, you still have your Freddie Freemans, your Acunas. Uh, I think this is a team that's going to be a heavy favorite in the division and probably all of the National League to maybe make it to the World Series. Of course, the Dodgers will have something to say about that and maybe some other teams <laughs> within the NL East. But yeah, I'm, I'm one of, you know, you're the favorite until someone knocks you off, right? I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Braves have won uh, two divisions in a row, division titles in a row, 19 and, and, and 20, uh, obviously making it past all the way to the NLCS last year. So you're, you're the champ until someone knocks you off. So it's up to the other four teams to kind of knock the Braves down, in my opinion, and become more uh, players in this division and favorites. And it's going to come to head-to-head matchups. We've seen the Braves do really well against the other four teams in the division, particularly here in D.C. against the Nationals. They held their own last year, I think, of the the – uh, the 10 games, it was close to 500 uh, against the Braves. I think it was 6-4 in favor of the Braves. So we know the Nationals can keep pace with, pace with them. We'll get to the other teams and the moves that they made. But, yeah, you're number one until someone else knocks you off in my book. And, and the Braves should, should be a heavy favorite, not just in this division, but in all of the National League this year. Right. And I think one important thing um, to point out, because we'll point it out with the Nationals, is how strong their rotation is. Um, you know, you, you talk about the NL MVP and Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna, the young star, re-signing Azuna. But then you turn to the rotation and they have some young stars there. Max Fried, Ian Anderson had a, had a great rookie year, Kyle Wright, um, and then adding that experience in Charlie Morton. So they're going to have a really strong rotation um, and pitching is going to be important across the NLE specifically, I think. 
Yeah, I agree. And and Kyle Ashton, uh, you know, we know he likes to tune in on the podcast on Facebook. He's agreeing. I still think the Braves are the team to beat, but I see the Nats and Mets battling for second place in a wild card spot. It's going to be a meat grinder this year. Uh, we're going to get to those other teams too for, uh, as, uh, as soon. But I guess next up, shockingly enough, is the Miami Marlins. Amy and they, like I said, they snuck into the playoffs last year, upset the Cubs in the first round. This was a team that was supposed to be, uh, you know, in. Uh, year two or three of a re- a complete rebuild. You know, obviously the exchanging of ownership and Derek Jeter entering uh, front office shakeups. Uh, but Don Mattingly did a really good job with that Miami Marlins team last year. Uh, very much overperformed, overachieved, uh, and he got the best out of them. And, and I don't know if they're going to be able to compete like they did last year. I, I, we talked so much about how much a condensed season uh, changes everything, right? And how it, it's, it's, un, it's almost unfair. Uh, to judge teams who did really poorly, i.e. the Nationals, and maybe uh, were too quick to judge teams who did really well or overachieved like the Marlins. But I I don't think they're going to be a pushover anymore, Amy. I think this is a team that has seized the light at the end of the tunnel, right? They they might be a couple more years closer to competing than they originally planned. And I think that they're going to give the other teams in this division a tough out, even if they might have to finish in the bottom half of the division at the end of the year. Yeah, I think you said it best when you said Don Mattingly got got the very best that he could out of them um, in that shortened season. I mean, they were the feel-good story of last year, but it is so hard to tell what they'll do in a full 162-game season because they don't have a ton of depth. And that's what really gets exposed in a complete season um, where other teams are, are more complete and more whole. But what was so exciting is to see that young talent and see see the potential for this team, um, this organization in just a few years. Um, so I don't know that they'll be able to compete at the level that they did um, as strong as this division is looking for 2021, but it's hard to tell. I mean, you never know what they'll be able to do. You never know if they'll be able to, to carry over some of that momentum. Um, so th- they will be interesting. They could, it could be a hit, but I think it's more likely to be a, a miss. And th- there are a few years um, from being really competitive in this division. And of course they made headlines this off season right at the very beginning, right? They hired uh, Kim Ang as the first, First uh, woman in uh, a GM in North American sports and the first Asian American GM in baseball history. So, you know, they made headlines right there. And so far, so good. She's been doing a great job. We'll obviously have to see how uh, the players uh, respond on the field and and the roster shakes out over the course of spring training. But they bring back Starling Marte. Uh, They exercise his club option. Sandy Leone, who Nationals fans are familiar with, signed a minor league deal. So, you know, they've got some major league talent here. They brought in relief uh, pitcher uh, Anthony Bassel for on a two-year deal with an option for a third. He's got an ERA just above 350. Uh, he had 21 strikeouts with the Blue Jays last year and with seven saves. And Adam Duvall, we just mentioned he left the Braves, and he comes over from a team that uh, has plenty of playoff experience and, and is accustomed to winning. So he brings that kind of veteran mindset of, hey, I'm not just here to, you know, earn my $5 million and maybe get my option exercised for 2022. I'm here to help this team win right now. He had 16 home runs in 57 games for the Braves last year, and he expects to be an everyday outfielder for the Marlins. Right, and I think one important thing to, to, to point out is that they didn't really have any any big losses either. Um, while they didn't make any big additions, uh, they didn't lose any of their key players, um, and that's important carrying over, especially in an organization um, um, that's building at this point. Yeah, just quickly, uh, some of the losses that 
you did mention Jose Arena signed a one-year deal with the Tigers. Brandon Kinsler, another name familiar for Nationals fans, went to the Phillies, and also so did outfielder Matt Joyce. So, yeah, not too many big names. They did lose Jonathan Villar, but I think they also cut him at, uh, before the season end last year too. But he was, I think, their everyday shortstop for the majority of last season before basically getting DFA'd. Uh, so it, it's a young, talented team. Uh, we know the Nationals had their struggles with the Marlins, and they've got a great farm system, so we should see another wave of young talent come up uh, and make their major league debuts for the Marlins this year. But, uh, yeah, they're not going to be a pushover. I, I don't think that the Nationals and the other teams in this division are going to be able to just walk all over the Marlins like we've seen in years past. This is going to be a tough out, and I think the Marlins are – they might not finish above 500, but, but they'll probably finish pretty close. And, and, you know, they could be the team, Amy, in my mind, that if you don't – you know, if, if they finish the whole season, you play your 19 in-division games against each team. If you don't win at least 10 against the Marlins, you're probably not making the playoffs or you're probably not in contention come September. Right. And Mike Moore, he's responding to one of uh, Chad's comments and saying the Nationals can start uh, slow this year, which is really important uh, when you're talking about competing against your your division opponents, because the Marlins, sometimes those are the type of teams that maybe momentum carries over or whatever it may be, can start the season kind of hot. And you don't want to lose to those teams early. And the Nationals are known for starting slow, uh, even in 2019 when they won the World Series, such a slow start to the season. So that will be important um, if the Nationals want to be competitive in the division yeah absolutely uh I, i've always said you know slow starts get rid of them and, and win within the division that's that's an easy recipe i mean i know it's easier said than done but that's a, that's a pretty basic recipe to start winning uh and be competitive throughout the re- course of the regular season all right moving on to a team that has high has had high hopes over the past couple of years amy and just has not been able to to reach them and that's the philadelphia phillies of course uh in the 2018 offseason landing bryce harper i, I can I never remember the off seasons because they overlap at the of the the new year so is it the 18 19 before the 2019 season phillies add bryce harper they already had j2 or muto he was their big get this offseason um but looking back amy i was actually kind of surprised i feel like the phillies have been pretty quiet this offseason, but I was surprised how many moves they have made. And don't forget, they brought in Dave Dabromski to be their president of baseball operations, a two-time World Series champion GM. So they've got a front office shakeup as well. Uh, we know Anthony McPhail uh, does a good uh, Andy McPhail, sorry, excuse me, does a great job in the front office. And of course, Joe Girardi as the bench coach. So they've got great pieces in place. It's just a matter of can the Phillies turn this around and become the competitive team that they've expected to be over the past couple of years. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, they have all these these pieces, all of this talent on their team, especially in their lineup. But it just seems like it's not click clicking, right? Like a lot of quality, um, but not but not the quantity that they need. Kind of like the Angels, uh, similar to that. They did get some bullpen help that they needed in Archie Bradley and Jose Alvarado. But other than that, they haven't really made uh, too many additions. I would say the highlight of their offseason has been re-signing JT Real Muto, which we've talked about him a whole lot on this podcast, and DD Gregorius. Those are two um, uh, important pieces of their lineup and um, will help them be competitive, but it just seems like they have the talent. They've been almost there, but it's not clicking for them. Yeah, and you talk about this was the worst bullpen in, in baseball last year, and you you knew that changes were coming. They shipped off a couple of guys or didn't bring back um, and they brought in a handful of new guys. You mentioned Alvarado and Bradley, but they also bring back Brandon Kinsler. He just uh, agreed to a minor league deal with them. Uh, and we saw reports that Bryce Harper was kind of behind that as well, trying to bring him in from their time here in D.C. 
you know, Kinsler had 12 saves with the Marlins last year, an ERA under three. Uh, excuse, uh, um, excuse me, an ERA under three with the Cubs two years ago. So, you know, he might still have some left in the tank. Uh, to me, it's just, you know, they, they, they're kind of like the Braves in that they, I see a lot of moves here. I don't know how many of them make them that much better. You, you brought back Real Muto. Okay, we've already seen what you can do with Real Muto. You brought back Gregorius for two more years. We've already seen what you can do with Gregorius at shortstop. Uh, is is this bullpen and this pitching staff? You know, you're you're not going to have uh, Jake Arrieta this year anymore. Uh, is this pitching staff going to be uh, both starters and relievers enough up to snuff with this division? Uh, I, I I see these bullpen moves, Amy, and I don't see them making a big splash. We don't see a Brad Hand on here or a Trevor May or something like that. We see minor league deal. We see guys who have somewhat of a track record, but nothing too substantial or proven. I don't think any all-star appearances between Alvarado and Bradley either. So my biggest question mark is, is this bullpen actually improved and can they keep them in games? Right. And just like you mentioned, the rotation too, there's a huge drop off after Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and rotation and rotation depth in this division. Pitching is so going to be so, so important. Um, and that's what might, you know, put them behind all of the, bringing all these guys back is kind of treading. It helps them stay above water, but they didn't make any huge additions to get better. So it's kind of like they need, they needed to click with the talent that they have and, you know, paying Bryce Harper, what they're paying. I'm imagine they hope it clicks um, while he's there over these next few years. Um, so I think that's their plan is to bring back this talent. They know they have these pieces um, and, and hope that works, but it's the rotation. It's that big drop off. And then the additions to their bullpen are those really big additions. Sometimes those under the radar um, signings help. And we, you know, we've seen it, we saw it with the nationals before, um, but sometimes they don't. And with, with the Phillies, it's kind of hard to tell, did they make enough additions at this point in time to be competitive in this division? Yeah, and what happened to me, I mean, I mean, to me, it's what happened to we're going to spend stupid money, right? I mean, that famous quote uh, from the Phillies owner a couple years ago ahead of the Bryce Harper free agency and signing. Yeah, cool. You signed Bryce Harper for, what was it, 13 years and a, 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 a bunch of money, and then you signed J.T. Real Muto to another five years, making him the highest paid catcher in terms of annual average value, but... You know, where's the other help? You know, you, you where's the addition of, um, you know, uh, uh, Trevor Bauer or like we mentioned, the other top relievers that are already off the board. It didn't seem like they really addressed their needs whole, you know, head on. It's all you made J2 Remuto a priority. I understand that. You know, I vouched for him for the Nationals to go after him this offseason, too. But, you know, I, now looking at head to head, you have five years of Real Muto at that price versus, you know, possibly Brad Hand for a couple more years and, and maybe a couple more pieces of Josh Bell, too, down the line. You're, you know, I feel like the Nationals maybe got more value in their signing and not uh, uh, going after Real Muto uh, than the Phillies did because they made Real Muto the number one priority and, and, and try to spare everything else out in terms of uh, upgrading the bullpen. And that's the price price you pay, I guess, when you pay um – a catcher that much money for that that long term whereas maybe be better off filling some more holes with shorter term deals um and a little bit cheaper but we'll see how that works out and we'll see how it works out for the nationals yep and before we get to the nationals one more team of course the new york mets perhaps the most active team this offseason uh in all of baseball of course starting off their offseason with the official 
transfer of uh, power, I guess. Uh, Steve Cohen buys the team, becomes the richest owner in baseball. Uh, and, and, you know, without saying stupid money, he pretty much promises that they're going to spend stupid money. But here's the difference, Amy. He actually gone, went out and did it. I mean, I, there was hard pressed to fit in all of the, uh, I was hard pressed to fit in all of the moves that they've made so far this off season. I couldn't even add uh, the guys that they lost in this graphic because uh, uh, they made, they added so much. Uh, he officially buys the team. Of course, they made the big trade with the Indians to bring over Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Uh, they signed James McCann to a four-year deal. Trevor May signs a two-year deal, and then they bring back, of course, uh, Stroman, who sat out last year. Dylan Patances and Brad Bach had their options picked up. So this Mets team looks loaded, Amy. I mean, and if anyone's going to jump um, the Marlins and maybe the Nationals as, as immediate contenders with the Braves, uh, it's probably the Mets on paper alone. Uh, you know, we have to see how it plays out, of course, and we know that the Mets Mets all the time, and we joke <laughs> about that all the time, but this might be a different team under, under a new ownership group and, and they might be looking to compete right now uh, with the moves that they made. It's definitely looking like that. And it's easy for us to say, why are other teams spending this kind of money? But let's not forget that Steve Cohen also wasn't affected um, by the, the 2020 pandemic season. He didn't take the financial losses that a lot of owners did across the league. So that might be why he's coming in and so willing to spend money. But we certainly see the payoff. I mean, they've made they made that incredible trade, getting Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, um, filling their need with bullpen help and getting Trevor May and um, Aaron and loop, um, filling their whole catcher, getting James McCann. I mean, all around, this has to be the most improved roster um, in this division, and certainly one of the most improved across baseball. Yeah, and don't also don't forget uh, they were in on Trevor Bauer till the last second. I mean, it came down to him, uh, the Mets, or or uh, or the Dodgers, and of course he picked the Dodgers last week. But they were in on him, and so that that, that to me shows that hey, we are here to spend money, we are here to compete, um, and a lot has been made. Even though they missed out, and I think I saw an article by Ken Rosenthal at the Athletic saying that even though they missed out on Trevor Bauer, you know this shows that the Mets are back as a major market player and, and are here to contend and, and you know kind of be another form of the Dodgers or the Yankees and see teams that just have ridiculous payrolls and are able to afford putting out um, you know these monster clubs and these monster lineups. And, and compete year in and year out. So the Mets might not be a pushover anymore either, uh, even though uh, you know the Nationals tied for last place with them last year. Uh, their major loss this offseason, I could only really count one. Of course, they traded Steven Matz to the Blue Jays for three right-handed pitching prospects. Um, other than that, you know, you still got Syndergaard. You st- oh, well, you have Syndergaard coming back in the middle of the season after his recovery injury. You still got uh, a, a Cy Young candidate at the top of the rotation. And and I'm blanking his name. Why am I blanking his name, Amy? Um, What'd you say? I'm sorry. Who's the top of the mess rotation? Degrom. Degrom. I can see his hair. I can't see his name. <laughs> Jacob Degrom. Uh, and then you, of course, add Lindor, who might be the best shortstop uh, now in all of baseball. Uh, so it's it's just going to be an interesting see how this all comes together, right? You can bring in all the moves, all the guys. On paper, it seems fine, but will it actually play out? And can they compete at a high level? And actually, what's their playoff job? They haven't made the playoffs since they lost the World Series in 2015. Uh, actually, they, they might have lost one other um, wild card game somewhere in between there. But it's been a while, and, and I know Mets fans have been longing for a change. This is hopefully a change for the good, and maybe Steve Cohen can bring this team back to a competitive level. 
Right. And they might not even be done yet. I mean, maybe we'll see a couple more minor moves that might be really effective in making additions to this roster. So the Mets are going to be exciting and they're definitely going to be competitive um, with the additions that they made this offseason. And they have to be the most improved um, roster across this division. Yep, I, I would agree. And, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, but what last but certainly not least in terms of our uh podcasting and our fan base are the course the Washington Nationals um you know looking back at all of these teams I think we just agree that the Mets probably were the most active but I think the Nationals were the most consistently active it seemed like they made minor moves and major moves all along the way from the end of the season up until now uh, a week before spring training so uh, credit to Mike Rizzo and their ownership group too. I mean, they, they didn't just sit back and, you know, accept a last place loss. They went out and made changes. Of course, they ha- saw some people go that, you know, Nationals fans are going to miss. Uh, but this roster, I, I don't know if it's definitively better than the roster going into last year, but on paper, it should compete. And, and that's all you can really ask for uh, heading into a brand new season. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say offensively, they pretty much made improvements at every position that they had to fill, but defensively, not so much. And that's kind of been my thing this whole off season. It's like you had the worst defense in baseball. You would think that you would want to want to add to that, but I guess they're just hoping that each player does better individually and that improves your defense overall. And hopefully that's the production that they'll get out of them. But, you know, Josh Bell, Kyle Schwerber, John Lester, Brad Hand, those two, John Lester and Brad Hand stick out to me the most because those are going to be, I mean, if John Lester produces at the level that we know he's capable of, he's going to be um, at a lot of depth to that rotation. And if, if this pitching staff performs at, at their best ability, they're going to, we talked about how important pitching is and they've got it. Um, That's for sure. And Brad hand, they needed that bullpen help. So they filled all the holes they needed to, and they filled them with guys that they could afford. Um, And I would say offensively, each of these are, 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 um, uh, improvements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, especially at first base, you look at Josh Bell coming over. And, you know, when you said that they didn't improve defensively, uh, I, I immediately thought of first base, right? And because um, Josh Bell came over for offense, and we know he struggles over there uh, with his glove. But then you have Ryan Zimmerman backing him up. So hopefully that's not uh, a big issue. And, and we talked about, we, we did a deep dive into Kyle Schwarber's defensive numbers uh, when he signed with the Nationals. Uh, about a month ago now, uh, and you know he might not be as terrible as he appears to be in the outfield, so he might not be a total, uh, you know, negative out there. And hopefully, maybe break even at least in terms of his defensive numbers. Um, but yeah, and and uh, uh, you talk about the additions, the subtractions. Of course, Nationals fans are familiar with Sean Doolittle going to the Reds. We know Michael A. Taylor long ago signed with the Royals. Uh, Kurt Suzuki goes to the Angels. Howie Kendrick retires. Uh, this is a team that is going to look completely different than the 2019 World Series champion team. I know that's heartbreaking for Nationals fans to hear, but it is true. And another thing that come, jumps out to me, Amy, is a lot of one-year deals on here. We know uh, one year for Schwarber, one year for Zimmerman, Brad Hand, one year, Lester, one year, Alex Avila, one year. Uh, I think Schwarber's the only one with another with a mutual option uh, to come back uh, the year after for 2022, and that's for 11 million dollars. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out, but. You know, it just kind of seems like, once again, I think we can be impressed and applaud Mike Rizzo for his efforts in terms of fielding a competitive team for 2021. 
But again, it just seems like with all the one-year deals, and we, we saw it last year too a little bit, this team could look very different in 2022, not to get too far ahead. But it, it just seems like it might be, is it too much piece together, do you think? Or or is this team built, and, and the way Mike Rizzo builds this team, uh, sustainable in, in terms of fielding a competitive team year in and year out? Well, I think what Mike Rizzo is saying here is that they want to win now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the most important thing. And they're looking a lot like the Braves. The Braves uh, tend to sign one-year deals. Um, sometimes they, they're for a little bit more money. They're more high-dollar deals, but they're one-year deals. Um, and it works for them. Um, so maybe it'll work for the Nationals. And right now, I think they had so many holes that they needed to fill. It makes more sense to do these these short-term one-year deals. And then you see a lot of these guys are looking to have bounce back years. So you see how they perform, and then maybe you end up signing them long-term. Kind of hard to tell. Um, so maybe short-term deals do work better right now. But I think piece, this team is pieced together well enough um, to win right now if everybody has bounce back years and performs the best they can. Um, but long-term, there's definitely not sustainability and doing that in uh, older rotation and all of that together. Uh, this is definitely right now, this roster isn't going to be able to, to, to win sustainably. Yeah. And in terms of the long-term looking at the guys now, they are one year deals and uh, on the, on the face of it, but you got Brad hand Kyle. We talked about how he's only 30. Kyle Schwarber uh, is on the right side of 30. Josh Bell isn't too much into his, I think he's still in his, around 30-ish, right? So, you know, those are guys that, yes, they're on one-year deals. Actually, Josh Bell probably has a couple more years of, uh, I think one more year at least, of uh, controllability because he just went through arbitration as well. Um, you know, a lot of guys that could stick around, right? You know, not absolutely definite, uh, but guys that still have good amount of years left of them. John Lester and Ryan Zimmerman, maybe even Alex Sevilla, probably, probably not. Uh, um, you know, if you can get year by year with Zim through the rest of his career, that's probably how they'll go. But you never know how John Lester's going to face out. He's, well, I think, I believe it was 37, had just turned 37. Or uh, Alex Villa is also uh, on his upper 30s. So, you know, yes, they are one-year deals. Maybe look like they're pieced together uh, right now. But uh, I, I think that it's uh, a scenario where there's a possibility, like you kind of mentioned, the possibility for long-term uh, solutions here with Bell, Schwarber, and maybe possibly Brad Hand being your long-term reliever uh, for the next handful of years if this season turns out well, right? It's, there are kind of show-me uh, contracts, like you said. So if they can prove themselves and earn those long-term deals, maybe Mike Rizzo looks like a, a complete genius uh, for these short-term uh, contracts he dished out this offseason. And the good news is it's low risk, right? Yeah. Those are low risk deals. Whereas, you know, you're the Phillies and you're paying Bryce Harper for this many years. You have to win during that time or you kind of end up looking stupid. Um, whereas the Nationals with an aging rotation and all of that, they know they have to win now. So and they, you know, plan to pay Trey Turner hopefully plan to uh, pay Juan Soto and sign him long-term. So they're looking forward to that. It makes sense. They want to win now. So short-term deals um, make sense right now. And, you know, you have to applaud Mike Rizzo for everything that he's pieced together this offseason. Yeah, I totally agree. And we have. And, you know, I, I also think I also mentioned, I don't remember after which signing I said this, but, you know, we can applaud him right now. But let's see how this shakes out during the course of the season. It could all work. Out. I think it was John Lester in terms of of the uh, the rotation, right? You know, uh, take that as a microcosm of the entire team. It could all work out great. Yeah, this could be one of the best rotations in the baseball. This could be one of the best teams uh, in the in the division in the league this year. 
it also could all come crashing down like we saw last year. Even with Juan Soto and Trey Turner having the years that they had, if Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer are unhealthy, if Patrick Corbin doesn't bounce back, if Josh Bell doesn't put up the numbers he put up, uh, we've seen him consistently put up. If, if Kyle Schwarber isn't a, a fragment of his old self back in 2016 to, uh, 17 uh, and, and beyond, uh, and, and can he play solid corner defense in the outfield, uh, a lot of those things have to go right for this team. And if they don't, if one piece falls off, this team might have struggle, especially out of the gate. We just talked about how it's important for this team to start off strong. And if they struggle out of the gate, you know, you can only pull off 19 and 31 so many times. It's, it's, it never really happens. And we saw that in the 2019 team. So if they fall behind, I don't know if this team is built to kind of re. Uh, catch up with the Braves or the Mets, whoever may be in the division, and work their way back into contention in the second half of the season. And it's really a lot of that's going to fall into the laps of the rotation. I mean, their pitching has to stay healthy and their pitching has to perform well after a really terrible 2020 season. Um, if they come back and they they perform at the elite level that they can, like the best rotation in baseball, then this team is going to be really, really good. Um, if they come out and they aren't the best rotation in baseball, just like you said, I don't know that this team is going to be able to get down 19 and 31 and catch up like they did before. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So let's re- kind of recap right here. Uh, we just did each team. Uh, throughout the course of the National League East. And, of course, we're taking your comments along live on Facebook and on YouTube as well. Um, Let's start off with, before we get to predictions for maybe final standings, let's start off with who is the favorite heading into this season. I know mine, I think I kind of spoiled mine earlier in the podcast, but who is your favorite heading into 2021? I'm going to say the Braves. I mean, I don't think you can look at this talent, look at what they did last season um, and not pick them to be the favorite. But for me, because of the offseason that the Mets have, they are a close second um, for me. But I think you have to go with the Braves. And you've been saying that all along. They won the division last year. They they have to be the favorite going into this season. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They are the favorite in my mind. They, they can't be, uh, especially when they didn't lose too many major players. Ozuna's back. Uh, if they had lost him, I, I, we could possibly be having a different argument, especially uh, with the Mets and all the moves that they just made. But um, uh, with him being back, especially for four more years, it's hard to knock off a team that was so close to the World Series uh, and, and handled this division pretty easily. I'll be in a shortened season, but handled it pretty easily in 2020. Um, who is the most improved? This doesn't have to be the favorite. Who is the most improved team? I think you and I have similar teams in mind. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go with the Mets. I think yeah. you and I both, I mean, they were – possibly the most improved um, uh, team across the league, but certainly in this division. I mean, they filled all of their needs, added talent um, in across, you know, every position. They they have to be the most improved. Yeah, I agree. Um, the owner came out and said he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, if things had gone a different way, Amy, let's say Ozuna, Resign some or sign somewhere else aside from Atlanta and the the Mets landed Trevor Bauer. I think we're flip flopping this, right? We're, we're probably saying the Mets were not only the most improved, but also probably the favorite in this division. That might be the only time I could concede uh, a division champ being knocked off without having played a single game yet. But of course, that wasn't the case. But I, I just, again, the mentality that says to me that this is not the Mets of the past couple of years, right? That we could like, we love to poke fun at, Nationals fans love to poke fun at them. Um, this is a team that has changed their attitude, changed their mentality in terms of how they attack the offseason and how they approach the season. And 
I mean, again, it all has to come together on the field. They have to play like, uh, you know, know, their their play has to back up their talk and and their owner's wallet. Um, But I I think this is probably the most improved team on paper. Uh, We'll see if it translates to the field and if they're having injury issues like we've seen them have in the past or if, you know, some of their signings don't play up to the level that they usually do. Uh, We could be having a different conversation. But as of now, a week from spring training, they are definitely the most improved team. Who's the least improved? Um, I think, let's see, it's between the, the Phillies and the Marlins for me. Um, I'm going to go with the Marlins just because they didn't really add any talent. I don't know that they were even in the position to, to really want to add talent at this point in time with the way that the organization is headed in because they're so young. Um, uh, whereas the Phillies, they, they have that talent there um, and they have talent that's ready to produce right now. How about for you? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, it definitely comes between the Phillies and Marlins, I guess, in my mind. Um, but I'm going to lean toward the Phillies. I, I think we know what the Phillies are, right? I, I, the Marlins aren't supposed to be competitive. They were last year, which is great. You, you want to see that. That's good for baseball. That's good for the division, uh, good for the league and the sport. But, you know, they're not supposed to be there yet. So I can forgive them for not being too aggressive, this offseason, you know, um, they, they've they added some small pieces here and there. They didn't lose it too much like we touched on. So, I mean, for the most part, we're going to see a lot of new young faces, uh, upcoming stars coming through that Marlins system this year. I can't fault them for that. Um, I don't think that means they're improved at all. I don't think that means they're the least improved either. I don't think they took a step backwards. I think with the Phillies, this is a team that's supposed to be competitive, right? We've talked; they talked for a couple of years now how they plan to make the playoffs, plan to be World Series contenders, spend stupid money, yada yada yada. It hasn't turned into anything. They haven't made the playoffs since Bryce Harper got there, uh, or JT Romuto. So, in my mind, you're gonna talk the talk, like I just said. You better back it up, and the Phillies haven't. So they didn't make a big splash. They needed to fix that bullpen. Man, that bullpen was terrible last year. By far, the worst bullpen in baseball. And they didn't add any of the major players on the market. They instead went and signed, brought back their catcher, which we've already seen what they can do with him in their lineup and behind the plate. Um, We talked about the question marks in the rotation, too. So I I think I'm going on the stance that the Marlins aren't supposed to be that great. So I'm not going to fault them for not making that many moves. The Phillies are supposed to be good, or we at least think they are. And they never they're never not and they ha- or they never are and they haven't made as many moves as I would expect them to do. A team that's supposed to be competitive. Now we know they have financial issues uh due to the pandemic heading into this offseason. Uh we'll give them credit for that too. But as a team that is in a major market, supposed to be competitive with one of the game's big- biggest stars, uh I, I I just don't see it. I don't think that they're going to be as competitive this year again, uh, like they said that they would be. And I think that's a really that's a really fair point. Um, and seeing is where you would think that they would want to be competitive right now, where they're paying Bryce Harper and so on and so forth. But I think you could also argue that they didn't take a step backwards, yeah. like like the Marlins, and they made it made a commitment to re-signing JT Realmuto and uh, re-signing DD Gregorius. Um, and they added some bullpen arms, not any of the major ones on the market, but maybe they're saying this is where we see our talent, this is where we're valuing our guys, and re bringing back JT Real Muto and we're willing to go with with 
um, you know, a little bit lower names on the market kind of go behind the scenes as far as filling in um, our bullpen and all that, which considering how bad their bullpen is, you would think that maybe they would go after one of the bigger names on the market. Um, but they didn't. And they have definitely their values and where they see their talent in different spots, probably the opposite than the Nationals. And we're seeing them do very different things than the Nationals. Um, and it might pay off. And maybe this will be the time it finally clicks. Um, they certainly didn't stick, take a step backwards and re-signing those talented guys, um, I think, will be really important, um, especially since they're trying to build a foundation with the time that they have, um, I would imagine. But they are trying to compete and you would expect them to go out and do a little bit more. I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so uh, to, to wrap it all up, uh, if you were to give now we haven't obviously dug too deep into the numbers. And of course, this season is all, all up in the air. We're not sure how it's going to play out or if they'll finish. But if we have a regular season played as scheduled, back to normal, how do you foresee one through five uh, this division shaping up? Ooh. Putting I'm on the spot, Amy. Right, right. You are. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say the Braves take the division again, okay. um, just because of all everything we've talked about. And then I think it's going to be a close second and third. Um, between the Mets and the Nationals. Um, I don't want to just say, you know, the, the Mets added all of this this in the offseason. Here they go. They're just going to win, and it's all going to work out. But it's very likely you could when you add that much talent. Um, and then I think maybe Philly and Miami uh, finishing last in the division, which is kind of hard to say um, after they were, they were the good feel good story, but I just don't think making any additions and being realistic and everything shaking out in a full 162 game season, they're going to even be able to, to, to perform comparable to last year. Yeah. I would say Braves. I, I, I really want to say nationals finish second. I do. I, I mean, outside of work, I'm, I'm a big fan of the team. Uh, growing up in the D.C. area, but I, my heart says uh, Nationals, but my mind's going to say Mets just on paper. I think they are the better team right now. Um, that could all change, and we'll see those. You know, the Mets and the Nationals play on opening night. I think it's the national broadcast on ESPN, 709 um, on April 1st. So, you know, we'll see right out of the gate DeGrom versus Scherzer and see how they kind of stack up to um, that first weekend of the regular season, and that's going to be a battle Presumably for second place, maybe first place, but right now, presumably second place. But I'm going to go Mets two, Nationals three. In the wild card hunt, uh, we can get into maybe greater predictions later on uh, as the spring training is underway. And then I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go Phillies four and Marlins five. I think over a 162-game season, uh, everything kind of averages out and the Marlins fall back into last place. But like I said earlier, they're not going to be you know when just 50 games or whatever it was we saw a couple of years ago they're gonna they're gonna be in there they're gonna be pesky uh and they might finish closer to 500 than people would expect or think and, and might even give the phillies a ride for their money for that fourth place uh finish uh in the national league east um and yeah go ahead if it's time to, you're talking about trying to fit the nationals in there and you want to put them finishing second in the division they could very well hit and everything could work out. And I think it comes down to the, the to the starting pitching um, performing well, mm. and, or they could really miss. And I think they could end up finishing last in the division, which I know is crazy to say with the talent that they have, especially in their starting pitching. But if anybody gets hurt, I think this, this team can go downhill really quickly. Um, whereas the Braves, I think are going to be competitive no matter what. Um, and that's, um, and that's Philly's 
fault that you know they they don't have that depth in their pitching. And I think it's just going to come down to starting pitching um, across this division. Yeah, and we saw the Marlins have strong young pitchers like Sixto Sanchez came up and made a really good impression on on the division and his couple of starts at the end of last year. So yeah, if if, if Philly does not add that rotation and um, you know who's left though I haven't done a deep dive on who's remaining on on the free, uh, starting pitching market but whoever's left if they can pick something up uh, and, and I don't know how much of an addition they actually do make or how much they help uh, but yeah if, if it's gonna be the whole pitching staff for Philly if, if that bullpen we do, already talked about how their bullpen moves don't really add up to much I don't think at least on paper uh, not too many outstanding numbers right there between the guys they did add. Um, and not to mention Kinsler on a minor league deal. So he has to make the club first and foremost before he can help out. Uh, I, I think the whole pitching staff could be Philly's doom. Um, whereas other guys, staffs uh, in this division are going to lift them up and at least not be a hindrance. Philly's that uh, pitching staff could be a hindrance and be weighing them down this season. We hope, we hope but it, I think it's, it's going to be tight. It's hard to tell really at this point in time. Yep. Um, right now we're kind of riding on the high of the Mets off season and we think they're going to perform really well and hopefully it clicks for them, but it's really hard to tell. And no matter what, this division is going to be competitive. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're looking forward to it again. Spring training is starting in less than a week. Pitchers and catchers report to West Palm beach on Wednesday, first workout on Thursday, and then the full squad report. Uh, reports and works out together on the 23rd. That is can't believe baseball is already here. We'll have full coverage of the first week of spring training on Mass and All Access and Mass and All Access podcast next week. And of course, throughout the upcoming month or so leading up to opening day, more predictions. We'll hear from some players, maybe get some one-on-ones uh, from guys down at West Palm Beach. So be sure to lock in and stay tuned. Uh, give Amy a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News. Amy, thanks so much for joining me. Yep. See you next time, Bobby. All right. So uh, to get all that content, uh, be sure you're following on the Mass and All Access podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Uh, hit subscribe, like, share. We appreciate everyone following along and spreading the word. Also following along and commenting on Mass and National's Facebook page and YouTube channel. Um, and, and on Twitter, uh, we took some of your comments today. Be a part of the show. We really appreciate it. It helps carry the conversation. It helps add to the conversation. We really like, that's why we do it live. We want you guys to be a part of this podcast as much as we are. So be sure to give us a follow on all of Mass and Nationals uh, social media accounts. I'm Bobby Blanco. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Baseball back. Rejoice. We'll see you next week. <laughs>